I'm Don Mockholtz, and you are listening to Looking Up with Don. This is the Looking Up with Don podcast, episode number 42 for the week of October 21st, 2020. The related website for this podcast is donmachholz.com. That is spelled D-O-N-M-A-C-H-H-O-L-Z, two H's. What's up in the sky this week? As our week begins on Wednesday, October 21st, the moon is in the evening sky, 30% full, which is a good-sized crescent moon. By the end of our week, October 27th, the moon will be 85% full and hanging out in the eastern sky as the sky darkens. On October 22nd, the moon passes south of both Jupiter and Saturn. For those in the Western Hemisphere, on the evening of Thursday, October 22nd, you can find the moon south of and centered under those two gas giants, with Saturn to the east and the brighter Jupiter to the west of the moon. Before the moon gets too bright, and while the planet Mars is still bright, let's see if we can see a shadow cast by Mars. We did this with Venus earlier this year. Venus is much brighter than Mars, but with Mars as bright as it is, let's give it a try. Do this early in the week after the moon sets and while Mars is high in the sky. You need dark skies, and your eyes need to be adapted to the dark. This will take 10 or 15 minutes. Then hold a white card or sheet of paper in one hand and wave your hand a few inches over the white surface in line with Mars. Look at the paper carefully using even averted vision. What you are looking for is the shadow of your fingers on the white surface. It will be dim and the shadow will be sharp. This is more of a test of your eyes and the darkness of your observing sight. And it is a good exercise to help you see better. Jupiter and Saturn are closing in on each other in our southwest sky. They are still both looking very good in a telescope. And in the morning sky, we are in the thick of the Orionid meteor shower. Get out there and see some meteors. Will you be able to see the International Space Station this week? And for our purposes, this week begins Wednesday, October 21st, and runs through Tuesday, October 27th. It depends upon where you live. To see it, the ISS must be in your twilight or nighttime sky, and must be illuminated by the sun. The International Space Station is only about 415 kilometers, that's 260 miles high, that, that high above the Earth's surface, and when it passes by, anyone within about 1,500 kilometers or 900 miles of it can see it. 
And for most of those who can see it, it will not be very high in the sky. Any spacecraft on its way to and from the ISS may also be seen trailing or leading the International Space Station. This week we have six zones. For those living between 50 and 60 degrees north, you will see it beginning October 23rd or 24th in your morning sky, and then you'll see it for the rest of the week. Between 30 and 50 degrees north, you'll see the International Space Station in your morning sky all week long, sometimes twice per morning. Between 10 and 30 degrees north, you'll see it in your morning sky, but only for the first few days of the week. By this weekend, it will not be visible to you. Between 30 degrees south and 10 degrees north, you'll not be able to see it at all. Don't take it personally. Between 35 and 30 degrees south, that's parts of Australia and Argentina, you can see it in your evening sky only for the first part of the week. And south of 35 degrees south, the ISS will be in your evening sky, sometimes two times per night. To determine where it will be in your sky, go to the website heavens-above.com and enter your location, then click on ISS. A comet that I discovered in 1994 is a periodic comet, and it comes back every five years, and this year it is visiting us again. The comet is known as 141P Machholz II, and often simply known as 141 capital P. I discovered it on August 13, 1994 from Koufax, California using my 10-inch, 25-centimeter uh, reflector. The discovery story for this comet is on my website under Visual Comet Discoveries. In 1994, shortly after I discovered it, other amateur astronomers who started imaging it began finding other small comets around the main comet. In all, four more pieces were found, and they were indicated by letters. I found A, then there was B, C, D, and E. Later, two more components were found. They were designated F and G. It is all known as Comet Machholz. Those who found the pieces did not get their names on those pieces. Of all the components, A and D were the brightest two, with component A reaching magnitude 8. In September 1994, a month after discovery, component D fractured, and in early October it was as bright as component A. It was an amazing sight, two small comets in the same field of view. A scientific paper was written about the comet, and you can download it from my website. It is Podcast 42, Multiple Fragmentation of Comet Machholz 2, P194P1. 
written by one of the top comet experts in the world, Sedenik Sakenana. It explains how the comet split several times before I discovered it in 1994. The comet returned in 1999 with only two components, A and D. And D was about three magnitudes fainter than component A. On 2005, on its next return, only component A was observed. In 2010, the comet was not well placed in the sky and was not observed. In 2015, component A was observed and a new faint component was discovered. It is known as component H. Only A and H were observed at that time. So now it is 2020 and the comet is coming back. It was picked up on August 13th by the Pan-STARRS telescope in Hawaii as a very faint star-like object of magnitude 22. It was later determined to not be a new asteroid, but Comet 141P. So far, it has appeared stellar with no coma. I have been using the SLU telescope in the Canary Islands to image the comet, but so far have not been able to pick it up. So right now, it is fainter than magnitude 15. It's presently in the evening sky in the southwest. Over the next few months, the comet is expected to develop a coma and brighten, and brighten rapidly, and reach magnitude 9 by the end of this year. That is based on how it has behaved in the past. But it is not a reasonably predictable comet. We will be watching to see if the comet brings along with it any old or new components. We will also see how it brightens and dims over the next few months. The orbits of the old disintegrated pieces are well known, as is the orbit of the main object. But at least one website presents the predicted positions for components A, D, and B. But as we have seen, components D and B disappeared long ago, and they would not be expected to suddenly appear again. Astronomers will be looking for component H, seen last time around. It would be running about two days ahead of the main component in its orbit. And they will be looking for any new components, and also looking closely at the nuclear region of the main component for any signs of fracture. As stated, the orbit is well known. We know where it is and where it is headed. This time around, it will be closest to the sun on December 16th at 0.8 astronomical units from the sun. That translates to 75 million miles and 120 million kilometers. The closest the comet gets to the Earth is on January 19th, 2021, and that distance is 0.53 astronomical units. That translates to 49 million miles, which is 79 million kilometers. I tell you that because there are a couple videos floating around 
suggesting that the comet will hit the Earth. Everyone who understands comets and comet orbits know that it will not hit the Earth. It will not even get close. And the tail will not hit the Earth, as some have suggested. The closest the comet will get to us is 49 million miles, and that's 200 times farther from us than is the moon. Whenever a story like this appears, someone will say that the scientific community is keeping all this a big secret. Not true. In an earlier podcast, I discussed how comets and asteroids are publicly tracked and reported, and how there are no secrets about the present and future locations of these objects. If you want to listen to the whole story of how these objects are found and tracked and be directed to the websites which track these objects, listen to podcast number 18, beginning at 3 minutes 30 seconds. We are over halfway through our study of the book, A Decade of Comets. I wrote it in 1985, and it covers the 33 comets discovered visually from 1975 through 1984. This series began in Podcast 34, and you can visit my website to download each section of the book for free. The website is donmockholtz.com. We are finishing up Part 4 of the book. It is called Podcast 42, A Decade of Comets, Part 4. If you downloaded it last week, no need to download it again, as the handout is the same as last week. We pick up on page 72 of the book, Elongations. The elongation is the distance in degrees of the comet from the sun, as seen from the Earth. 180 degrees elongation means that it's at opposition. It rises when the sun sets, and it sets when the sun rises. It would be in the sky all night long. Anything less than 180 degrees would be in the morning sky or in the evening sky. Comets are usually at their brightest when they are at their closest point to the sun. This is called perihelion. However, as seen from the Earth, that does not mean that they appear close to the sun at perihelion. But generally speaking, a comet with a close perihelium distance, for instance, two or three times closer to the sun than we are, perhaps as far from the sun as Mercury or Venus, will appear close to the sun within 50 degrees or less when at its brightest. Now, comets also brighten as they near the Earth. But this factor is not as significant as the brightness changes the comet experiences as it nears the sun. Objects at short elongation near the sun are difficult to see. That is because you are dealing with sunlight in the form of twilight and low altitude just off the horizon. To see a comet at 20 degrees elongation means you have to look just a few degrees off the horizon when the sun is 15 or more degrees below the horizon. And you don't have all day to do this. Just a few magic moments 
when the object is high enough to be above the haze, and yet when the sun is still far enough below the horizon to keep the sky dark. We've had to deal with that, with Comet Swan and Neowise earlier this year, and the latest Comet Neowise presents the same challenge. Of the 20 comets discovered in the morning sky from 1975 through 1984, the two comets found at the smallest elongation were found by William Bradfield of Australia. One was at magnitude 6 at 22 degrees from the sun, and another at magnitude 5 at 26 degrees from the sun. Such comets, even though they're bright, are difficult to see when that close to the sun. The range for morning comet discoveries was 22 degrees through 171 degrees with an average of 63 degrees elongation for those 20 comet discoveries. Comet hunters of that time knew the average and generally swept within 90 degrees of the sun. For the 13 comets found in the evening sky, the range was 30 to 147 degrees, with an average being 64 degrees. When we compare the brightness of the comets at discovery with elongation, the trend is apparent only when we get within about 55 degrees of the sun. Then, as we get closer to the sun, the discovery magnitude is brighter. That would be expected. This is shown in figures 20 and 21 of the book. So how high in the sky are the comets when found? If we know the exact moment that the comet is found, the comet's position, and the discoverer's location, we can calculate this data. The average height for morning comet discoveries in the sky was 25 degrees, and for the evening Comet discoveries, the average height at discovery for the comet was 28 degrees high. In the book, A Decade of Comets, the next four tables show the pointing direction for comet discoveries in both the morning and evening skies for comet discoverers living in both the northern and southern hemispheres. Tables 8 and 9 in the book show the location of the comets at astronomical twilight as seen from 40 degrees north and south of the equator and as seen from the equator. From this, we determine that about half of all those 33 comets were above the horizon from all three locations at astronomical twilight. So theoretically, about half of those comets could have been found from 40 degrees north and 40 degrees south and from the equator. The other comets were above the horizon perhaps only for those in the northern hemisphere or perhaps only for those in the southern hemisphere at astronomical twilight. And for the rest of the Earth, they would have been below the horizon. Finally, we look at the coordinates and constellations in which these 33 comets were found. Larger constellations have more area and yield more comet discoveries. And those constellations with two comet discoveries were Aquarius, Draco, Hydra, Scorpius, and Ursa Major. 
Next week, we move to part five. The comet discovers themselves, where they were from, what instruments they used, and how many hours it took to find a comet. Now for the comets that you can see this week. The positions, that's right ascension and declination of these comets, can be found on Podcast 41, Comet Positions. Comet Howell, 88P, magnitude 9, is in our evening sky. But the moon will be in the vicinity this week also. This comet is plotted on Podcast 42, Map 1. In the morning sky, we have Comet 2020 M3 Atlas, just south of Orion. It is plotted on last week's map, Podcast 41, Map 2. Our next comet is 2020 S3 Erasmus. It is now magnitude 11 in our morning sky, and it continues to brighten. It is plotted on Podcast 42, Map 2. Finally, Comet 2020 P1 Neowise is at its closest point to the sun this week, and it is low in the morning eastern sky. Best seen from the northern hemisphere. This is the best and perhaps only week to see it, as next week the moon will be entering the morning sky and the comet is expected to be getting dimmer. It is plotted on Podcast 42, Map 2. You have been listening to Looking Up with Don, podcast episode number 42 for October 21st, 2020. I'm Don Machholz. Once again, the related website for this podcast is donmacholz.com. That is spelled D-O-N. M-A-C-H-H-O-L-Z dot com. God willing and pod willing, I'll be back next week for another episode of Looking Up with Don. We will discuss what's going on in the sky and the comet discoverers from a decade of comets. All that and more. Thank you for listening. See the sky this week. I'll see you next week.